what we find often is a lot of brands that are selling things online don't do a good job of breaking it down in terms of what the benefit is. Instead, they focus on the marketing aspect, and that's really where it becomes a large challenge. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back listeners to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today, we're gonna to talk about something that we haven't discussed before in the podcast or not least in depth, and that is optimization. The fact is that 98% of the website visitors to your site and my site won't buy from you today. And so our guest is gonna do a deep dive and explain to you uh, what the opportunities are to, to change those numbers around in your favor. Um, I had a great conversation with John leading up to this interview. And what I want you to think about is, we're gonna talk about top of the sales funnel. So when you think about people coming to your website, we're talking about the, the first chance they have to be exposed to your business online and if you can increase those numbers even if it's a few percent here and there just think of what impact that would have as people walk through your sales funnel sign up for your newsletter sign up for your lead magnets and work through that process it's going to have a significant increase to the bottom line for you so a more formal introduction to John. John McDonald is the founder and the president of a company called The Good, thegood.com. And it is a conversion rate optimization firm that helps brands convert more of their existing website traffic into buyers. So if you want to learn how to get more people who hit your website to buy from you, then I would say stay tuned. The Good has unlocked the results for some amazing large online companies and brands such as Nike, Adobe, Xerox. The Economist and more. All you need to do is visit their website and it's really the who's who of online retailers. John regularly contributes content and optimization conversion to publications like Entrepreneur Magazine because he knows how to get visitors to take action. As the president, John has helped the lead, uh, lead The Good to become one of Oregon's top fastest 20 growing companies and the team at The Good have made a practice of advising brands on how to see their e-commerce sales double or more. In recent years, uh, they have worked with the good. They have seen an average increase in revenues of over 100%. So in addition to all the uh, the good things that John does to help you and I as entrepreneurs, business owners, and marketing types increase our sales, John also volunteers for several not-for-profit causes throughout the Pacific Northwest and is uh, an active committee member of industry associations, peer groups, as well as the entrepreneur organization. So on to uh, better sales, more sales, higher conversions. I'd like to welcome John McDonald to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. So John, super excited to talk to you today. So welcome to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast. Hi there. Thanks for having me. So it might sound weird to some of our audience, but most of our audience is pretty used to this now. So as a marketing creative guy, I am super in tune with and realize um, that analytics and measuring what you're doing is key to business and conversion and sales. So do you want to give us a snapshot, like kind of a high level view of what you do, then we can kind of deep dive in some of the areas and, and help our listeners understand how they can improve what they're doing? 
Sure. Well, I am founder and president of The Good. The Good is what's known as a conversion rate optimization firm. What that means is that we help brands to convert more of their existing website traffic into customers. Now, how we do that is through data science, helping those brands to track every click and movement that consumers are taking on their site. Now, we do that in an aggregate fashion, so there's no privacy concerns. But the goal here is to help make data-backed and data-informed decisions about where the challenges are on a site, where people are deserting, what content they're interacting with, or where they're having problems along the conversion funnel, and use data to solve those challenges. So, you know, I, I think one of the things I want to say right off the bat to uh, to our audience is that often uh, people come to me because I, I work on the other side. So I work on the front end driving traffic mm-hmm. and they go, hey, we need to, we need to, you know, we need more traffic. And so I, I just want to say to our listeners, stop. There's no sense driving any more traffic to a underperforming website or landing page. Better off to figure out how to get the conversion at the absolute optimal rate and then spend your money on advertising. That's a great point, Doug, because not only are you going to see more conversions off of that qualified traffic that you're sending, but you're going to get a much better return on your ad spend in, in doing that, right? So if you have a better, a better site that's going to convert higher, once you send that qualified traffic to the site, it really will be like adding fuel to the fire. Well, and it's free, really, because you've already got the, so however you're getting the traffic there, it's it's already getting there. So whether it's organic or whether you're doing paid ads or you're sending out email, you're getting the traffic. So all you're mm-hmm. doing is you're just moving the sales dial, just tweaking the knobs and dials behind the site. And then I guess you're just bringing in, you know, more leads or more more sales. Well, I'd like to look at it as a simple math equation as well. Say you, you spend a send or however you're getting that 100 people to your website. We'll just make this easy math. I'm no, uh, we work in data science, but I'm certainly not a PhD <laughs> in math. Uh, we have great team members here for that. The, you know, out of the 100 people that you're sending, if you're only converting one or two of those uh, naturally on your website, you know, you're, you're throwing a lot of great traffic out the window. And I think it's really important to uh, be thinking about how you can bring the consumer into the process of understanding where the challenges are and why they're not converting and what they're thinking. And really looking at that as how do you just double that conversion rate? And even if you were to get four people to convert instead of two, uh, all of a sudden your revenue doubles, your margins are going to increase because you're spending the same amount on that traffic or whatever marketing activities that you might be doing around that. And so it's pretty simple math where the return on investment is clearly there with just small incremental gains. And I think, you know, that's where we see most brands have challenges right at the outset is that they're not even involving the consumer in their decision-making process. And so collecting that data, understanding what people are doing on your website and doing things like user testing, where we have access to several hundred thousand trained user testers. And these are all trained to talk out loud about the experience they're, they're having as they go through tasks on your site. We record their screen and, and their audio so that we have that information. And we collect hours upon hours of people completing tasks that we give them to do. And all the while, they're talking out loud about that experience. Oh, I was, I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z, but I can't figure out how to do that. I'm <laughs> yeah. looking for the product and I can't figure out what that, where that product is. Now, all of these things come really naturally to 
the person who built the site or the person who's on the site every day, or as a business owner, you know your product line so well. So I, I really like to often say it's, it's really hard to read the label from inside the jar. And you're so close to your website and you're so in it on a daily basis that you really can't see where those challenges are. And that's, I think, the best thing about conversion optimization is just bringing those consumers into the process and using that data to help you make informed decisions about what can be improved. Well, and beyond that, there's also the, op- the the obvious thing is that you're so involved in your company and you and your industry, what you think and take for granted as common knowledge might be common knowledge with your peers, but definitely not common knowledge with your consumer. That's definitely a fair statement and very true. And one of the first things we often find when we're auditing sites, which is always the first step that, that we take with, with new customers, we often find that consumers are confused about just even the product descriptions. Because a lot of brands, especially those that are in sporting goods or highly technical outdoor gear or equipment or even B2B often has this challenge where you'll go to a product detail page and you know that it's your favorite jacket that you want to get for snowboarding, but it says on there that it has all these technical specifications that are branded terms that don't mean anything to you (laughs) and really clearly don't tell you what the product does. That's fine. And so it makes it more confusing. And and when you know some some folks who are product designers and marketing folks sat around a table and said, we have this really cool technology that does X, Y, and Z. And it is beyond what any of our competitors have we have to brand this with a special name. Well, as soon as they take that leap, it becomes confusing. There's a disconnect for that consumer. So what we find often is a lot of brands that are selling things online don't do a good job of breaking it down in terms of what the benefit is. Instead, they focus on the marketing aspect. And that's really where it becomes a large challenge. And it's always the first barrier to overcome is is help brands to see what their consumers are thinking. A really great example of that is we we worked with Xerox and, uh, you know, everybody knows who Xerox is, but they mainly sell off of their website business printers, um, high-end color laser printers, things of that sort that are meant to stand up to, you know, thousands of pages a day. Well, you know, we went into Xerox and we were working with them to help optimize their, their product detail pages. And we did a whole bunch of user testing. And as I mentioned earlier, we record all of that. Well, what we found was that consumers were having the same challenges over and over and over. And we went back to, you know, the the team that we were working with there and said, hey, these are the things we're finding that need to get changed. And an executive who was sitting in the room said, no, we've always done it that way. We're not changing those things. And there was just a big disconnect between what the consumer challenges were and what the executives were thinking. So what we did is we said, okay, Let's put that aside. Let's move on to other things. We went, came back to the office and we spent hours putting highlight reels together along with a ticker in the bottom right-hand corner that was like a cash register. And it just showed how much money they were losing based on these session recordings. So every time somebody basically said, oh, I'm so frustrated, forget it. I'm going to go to Amazon or I'm going to do something and buy a different competitor or whatever it is because they couldn't figure out even if a printer had ethernet connection or wireless, you know, things that were pretty standard, right? But to Xerox, they knew what every model of printer was and what the codes meant on each printer and how they were named and what the numbers meant. 
But it, you know, even to this day, most Xerox printers are a name plus four numbers that don't really mean anything to a consumer, but mean everything to the team there. So it's a matter of bringing that perspective to the table. And once we showed this video, this, these clips of consumers getting frustrated and leaving and how much money they were leaving in the cart or with the product they were looking at that they really wanted to buy, what we ended up doing was you know, showing the highlight reel and immediately you could see the look on the executive's face just drop. It was, it was you know, life-changing in that instance for, for the e-com site. And they made a bunch of changes because of that. Well, I like that because it's it's real data. We've sat with clients and saying, okay, this is what this is what you know your customers are searching for to find you online. And the VP of marketing is saying, well, that's not true. Our customers aren't that sophisticated. So, well, I'm not proposing this as an idea. This is actual data. So you're not you know you're not proposing, I guess, in this case, you're to Xerox that this is a good idea. Th these are this is a fact. Exactly. That's exactly it. And, you know, that's also why we focus heavily on A-B testing. And, you know, it's the exact same thing. We can come up with hypotheses all day long around what the challenges are and how we think those could be resolved and why they exist. But in the end, what you really want to do is test it. And A-B testing, again, utilizing data about actually how consumers are engaging with those tests and your site is going to give you it's almost think of it like an insurance policy on making those changes. You're going to go in with a lot more confidence that you're making a change that you know is improving whatever metric you set out to improve. And you have real data from actual consumers on your site that is going to tell you that. Well, I think the great news is you've got the data of you know what's happening now, and then you're going to make a change, and then you're going to have new data. So then you're going to have empirical evidence of this is exactly mm -hmm. what we did, and this is how, what the result was. That's exactly right. And, you know, one of the things that we really stress when we first start working with clients is to make sure they're tracking the right data so that you can use that data to make informed decisions. And the sooner you start doing that, the better, because you're going to be able to start looking at trend lines. And that becomes really important, right? Because things are always changing. And, you know, shopping habits are always changing, you know, even conversion best practices are always changing, if, if that's the thing. But, you know, really, when you come to think about it, it, you really need to look at trend lines in terms of week over week, month over month, year over year, because that's where you're really going to find the nuggets of what really moved the needle for the company. And one of the things we always say brands should start with is just doing annotations and, and analytics. Just saying, oh, this, you know, this week we, um, on the day that you sent a marketing email out, if you sent a campaign, just indicate that because I can guarantee you in six months, you're going to have no idea what happened that day that the spike shows up in analytics with additional sales. So being able to, to have that all logged in there, it takes five minutes. It's, it's super simple to do, but it has, it, it really does have profound rewards over time. That's a great point. I just I just actually made a note of that because um, I quite often will have my clients use Google Analytics as a way of verifying some of the traffic sources that we're using. So I, I do a lot of outbound third-party emails. So I partner with the publishing company and have them send to their list. And invariably, we get this ridiculously huge spike because we might send out two or 300,000 emails. But I don't think I've ever suggested that they make a note of it in analytics. So when they look back a couple of years ago, they go, well, how do we get that big sales spike? Mm -hmm. So that's a, really, that's a really good tip. So in terms of tracking the right data you said people are often tracking the wrong data can you share with us some insights to what that looks like what should our audience be be tracking so they you know they know what they'd be looking at 
Yeah, there are really four main categories of data. And the first is the clicks and movements that people are taking on your site. Heat maps, click maps, scroll maps. That's going to tell you what people are engaging with, You know how far down the page they're scrolling, where are they clicking on your site. And that's just a good indicator of whether or not they there's a, a user experience challenge with your site as well, because people may be doing what we call rage clicking. You'll, we find this on almost every site where somebody starts clicking because they think an image should be clickable and take them somewhere, but it doesn't. <laughs> and funny. so that's a good indicator that, you know, we need to make that a link and take them where they you know think that should go. So maybe, can you just expand on each one of those? I mean, I know what heat maps and click maps are, um, but for our audience, just so they're, they're clear on what it is that you're looking at and what you're going to give them feedback on. Right. So a heat map generally looks like a rainbow of colors over your page, and it's an overlay of your site. And what we're really looking at a general heat map is done by cursor movement. So where is a cursor moving on a page? And then it's called a heat map because anything that's going to be bright red is where the cursor was for the longest amount of time or the most amount of time. And then it cools off from there. So red, green, yellow, blue, and then generally kind of goes really cool from there. So if you think about it, you want to look for all of the really hot spots on your site. That's where people are engaging the most. And then down from there, you want to also look at the opposite end. Where are people not engaging at all? What content is being completely missed? So we also use eye tracking tools for this, which you know will tell us uh, how much of content people are reading. Now, on a desktop, you probably don't recognize that you do this, but most people read with their cursor meaning that they're taking their mouse cursor and going back and forth over copy as they read it. It's just natural habit and it happens the majority of times we found. So it's a really good indicator of what content people are engaging with. And so a click map I mentioned is very similar, only it's going to have bright red spots over where people are clicking the most. It's going to tell us what call to actions are engaging people and getting people to move forward. A scroll map is going to be very similar. It's going to look even more like a rainbow going down the page because it's going to start with bright red at the top because everybody's going to see that when they first load the screen. And then it's going to trail off with color down the page to where it gets to no color, which is what people don't see at all. Now, this is going to tell us what content is just plain getting missed on a page because it's too far down the page and people are maybe getting distracted before that or it helps us understand what important content needs to be moved up the page in a better order? Well, I guess there's two sides. I mean, one is if you look at analytics, you can see what data, what um, content your uh, website visitor likes and, and, and is in the most demand. And what you like, what you said by looking at the heat maps and the click data, you may find out that, you know, this is the most important data or piece of content you have on your website, but it's in a low uh, traffic area. So if you just simply move it, you could experience a, an immediate bump in attention. Exactly. And that can be even just having the page uh, or having the content on the page be in a different order, not necessarily people not just being able to get to a particular page of the site as well. 
Yeah, I remember a bunch of years ago being at a conference in San Francisco and looking at some, it was a testing uh, seminar and they were talking about click map or maps and heat maps. And at that point, I don't know whether this is still true, um, is they said that your sign up for your your newsletter or your lead magnet should be in the top right hand side above the fold because that was the, at that time, I don't know, that was 12 years mm-hmm. ago, that was the place for it. So I don't know whether it's the same or it's changed. Well, I think that varies per site. I can tell you that up in the top right-hand corner of our site is our main uh, lead generation tool. So uh, it, it definitely applies for us. But I think that, you know, we're finding that as different tools come out, uh, you know, we see a lot on e-com sites that people are doing the really thin banner bar along the top of the site, the very top of the, right below the um, URL bar, the address bar in the browser. Yep. And that has become really popular and it used to be that consumers would automatically focus on the top left corner of a site, especially in, in you know, Western cultures, and they would read there in an L pattern. Well, what we're finding is that almost always when they have those bars, the eyes start looking at that bar first. So they look in the middle top of the page and then go straight down from there. And that means at times that they're missing big pieces of information like the logo. And maybe it's just not as important anymore because people know they typed in a bar, they realize what they click, so they understand where they are. But it also means that they often miss a navigation that would be in that top right you know, area typically. And because they're just going straight from that promotion down to the page content down the middle of the page. So really it varies based on each individual site. And that's why collecting data is so important, uh, you know, that it's specific to your site visitors and also why best practices have become less and less effective. So in terms of collecting data, I, I get asked this question all the time. And and so I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm not a data expert and I don't know if this is a fair question for you, but I'll ask it and then be, feel free to, to let me know how much data do you need to have before you can start making some decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's one that I get quite often actually. And the reality is that some data is better than none, right? So if you're not collecting any data at all, then, you know, you're, you're making decisions based on a whim for the or a gut feeling. Yeah. That's probably the worst possible outcome. So I'd rather have at least some data. We find even with user testing, which is one of those four types of data uh, I mentioned earlier, and with user testing, we really only need to test with five different test subjects to have a meaningful amount of data. We find that after five, the chance of us finding anything new diminishes pretty quickly. So it it ends up not being worth the effort. So really anybody can go out and run five user tests on their site with very little resources. That's a really good point. I mean, so if you don't have enough uh, enough traffic to your website at this point, you could test before you would launch and start spending money on media, figure it out in advance. Exactly. And, you know, one of the other things, the other data sets is A-B testing. So we'll have covered three of the four. But, you know, with A-B testing, what you really want to be thinking about here is that you need to have a decent amount of traffic or your tests are going to take a very long time to prove out. Yeah. So it really, you know, when we talk about data, it's a very general term, right? And I, there's different segments of that types of data that, that would make sense here. User testing, five people, and you have statistically significant results. To get statistically significant results within A-B testing or even multivariate testing, uh, people call it at times, 
you really need to have a, a decent amount of traffic coming to your site. Now, decent, uh, you know, the bare minimum that we can help and do A-B testing with, you have to have 10,000 unique sessions to your site per month. And even then, we want to limit it to two, maybe three tests per month that we would run. And the idea there is that, you know, if you have too many tests, you're segmenting your traffic too much, not enough people are going to see each individual variation of a test. And thus it would take months, sometimes six, eight, nine months to prove a test out. That's going to be really daunting and also not give you the return on investment that you're looking for. So we really recommend that you have to have a, a large amount of traffic, uh, ideally 100,000 uniques per month or more to do serious A-B testing. But anybody can really dabble in it that, that has 10,000 uh, or more per month. Well, and you know, while that may sound daunting to some business owners, I mean, it's it's not it's not difficult to with the the multitude of advertising options today to set up and run a campaign that can get you 10, 20, 30,000 uniques a month to help make those decisions like you said those informed decisions mm-hmm. for from your data. Exactly. And it does, you know, become a little bit dug of a chicken and egg, right? Should I spend on traffic? And this is a conversation we kind of started at today, right? Yeah. Should I be spending on traffic first or optimize my site first? Well, I think there is some data you can collect to start optimizing your site before you drive traffic. But then once you drive traffic, you can really start to do things uh, in a much quicker fashion as well. So, you know, I'd say a little bit of optimization before you drive traffic goes a long way. And then accelerating that growth once you do have traffic coming to your site by doing more optimization at that point is really the best path forward. That's where our clients have seen a lot of success. Well, and I'll often tell people that are looking to do joint ventures, well, hey, I want to do a joint venture. I've got this offer. I want to partner with this person and have them send to their list. It's like, well, they're going to ask you what your conversions are. So spend the time and the money getting your sales funnel and all your, your marketing pieces down and working well. So spend some money on cold traffic get it optimized, then go to a partner so you're not wasting their time and you can grow your business. Yeah, that's a great point. So for our listeners that are listening to this going, okay, this is new information. So I'm aware of Google Analytics and maybe that's the the depth of their knowledge of analytics or somebody on their marketing team reports that to them. What do the steps look like to get started? So, mm-hmm. okay, I've got a business, I've got, you know, eight or 10,000 unique visitors a month. You know, it's time to my marketing manager or, you know, I'm the entrepreneur, I want to ramp it up. So I come to you and say, hey, John, so I want to, I want to make more money this year and improve my conversions. And this is where I'm at. What are the steps I get? started? What does it look like? Well, I think the first step is to set reasonable expectations about timeline, right? So really to see, you know, the best way to approach this, Doug, is to be thinking about it in kind of like savings account, money in a savings account that's earning interest. It's going to compound over time to continue to grow. Working on your conversions needs to be thought of that same exact way. You know, you want a little bit out of every paycheck to go into that retirement account. And as that retirement account continues to grow, the interest grows and then it just compounds on itself. And, and you know, you, you have massive amount of money by the time you retire. Well, it's very similar with conversion optimization. Generally, I like to set the expectation that brands really need to be going into this thinking that it's going to be at least a six month process. Now, that doesn't mean you don't see results much quicker than that, but you really start to see massive results because the compounding effect starts to take place generally around into that six months. So 
I, I get a lot of calls from brands who want to optimize for holiday and they don't call me until September, October. And what I can tell better than calling you December, (laughs) I would agree with that. Yes, (laughs) that that happens too, surprisingly. But I I think, you know, the reality is that the process we've laid out, we have what we call our conversion growth program here at The Good. And, And we've been doing this for, it'll be 10 years in April. So coming up on 10 years pretty quickly here. We, well, the way that we approach this is, uh, it's on a month to month, monthly cycle, right? So the first monthly cycle is a onboarding and a comprehensive conversion audit of the site. Now, in that audit, that's where we're going to make sure that all the right data is set up, all the stuff we've talked about today. We're going to uh, put some best practices in place for that data. We are going to run user testing on the site to gather some consumer insights. Maybe we even do on-site surveying, things of that sort. We do our own expert analysis of the site to see if there's any just obvious concerns. And we take all of that data and we form a large report. Now, in that report, we're giving a list of what we call immediate fixes. These are the things that the data is clearly telling us already need to just be changed on the site. And these, sometimes they're based on best practices. Usually it's based on the data we're finding from consumer insights. Now, from there, uh, we also put together a full A-B testing plan and roadmap. In that testing plan and roadmap, you really want to detail out you know, what should be tested on the site, where the problem areas and what tests we should run on there, uh, where exactly on the site we should run those tests and when or in what order we should be running each of those tests. So we have a full plan. Now that plan is always looking six months out. And that's because these tests need to build upon each other. All right. So then starting in the second month uh, is when we start enacting that testing plan and we'll chunk off some of those tests, depending on the service level that we're working on with that client. And we will start building those tests and launching them. And we generally try to let them run for a month as a minimum. Even if we've reached what we call statistical significance, we're usually still want to let them run a little bit longer just to to prove that data out even more. So, and then from there each month, we're taking the, the winners of each test or the tests that had the positive effects we were looking to have with that test. And we'll implement those on the site and permanently in the source code of the site, and we'll launch the next batch of tests. So it really just becomes a compounding effect because each month we are gaining some, you know, conversion increases, revenue increases. We're working on decreasing average, you know, cart abandonment and increase average order value. And we're looking at all these metrics individually that we're trying to have an impact on. And we are chunking off some of the challenges every month and uh, improving those metrics. And then the next month, we're launching the next batch of tests and continuing to build on those improvements. That compounding effect can't be understated. No, it totally it makes sense. I mean, as, as you were telling me this, and I was looking at some of the numbers off of your website, and I was thinking, okay, so you're talking about conversion. So that's when people first hit your site. And, and some of the, the information that, you're, that you mentioned early on was like 97% of the people or, or more are bouncing off your site. And I'm going, well, that's really the top of the sales funnel. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's your biggest opportunity to win. If you can increase the top of the sales funnel by by 1% or 2% or 3%, you know, what effect does that have as it, as it, as it works its way down through your process? Exactly. Exactly. 
And the numbers that I see here are, are pretty staggering. Uh, for our listeners that aren't looking at the site yet, uh, we're looking at 86% for Xerox, 143% for Bell, 240% for Easton. So, you know, they're not small corporations and, and so they're not likely to have small marketing departments. So, you know, they're pretty smart guys. They've been in business. And so for you as an outside vendor to be able to come and partner with them and make those sort of increases seems pretty staggering. Well, again, I think that it has a lot to do with having an outside perspective, right? And not being somebody who's on the site every day. That can be really helpful. Plus, you know, a lot of brands that we work with when we first come in, they they bring us in because they know they need to be optimizing, but they don't really have that culture of optimization internally. And that's really what we can bring to the table is making sure that we're helping them instill a culture of testing and optimization because that's where the sustained growth is going to be. We can come in and run testing even for six months and help give them an initial boost and that they'll see that boost continue on. But if they want to continue to grow and you really need to be continuing to optimize. And, you know, a lot of companies that come initial conversations with me will ask, you know, is this, can I ever stop when we start working together? Am I going to be locked in forever? And the reality is no. I mean, you should always be testing and you should test forever, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't start and stop and be testing in other areas or, you know, just continuing that culture of optimization and testing throughout. If we leave a customer and they now are doing that internally, but we've helped them change the culture and get They've, the executives now recognize that the budget needs to be spent there. I am happy. I feel like we've helped accomplish our mission. I mean, our mission here at The Good is to help remove all of the bad online experiences until only the good ones remain. And so if a company internally starts having that culture, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm super excited. Well, based on the number of hours I spend online, I, I think that um, there's probably a lot of work for you guys for a long time to come. Well, I, I mean, we've been doing this for 10 years and, and I don't feel like we've accomplished that mission completely yet, right? So yep. uh, maybe in another 10 years, we'll see. I don't know. So a different topic. I mean, I heard I heard you share a word earlier that I want to go back to and that was culture. So, you know, I'm reading a book right now called Driven by Difference and it's how to build great companies fueling innovation through diversity. And one of the things, um, the new lens I'm looking through as I'm looking at teams and companies is how diverse are they? So, you know, um, a age, sex, um, you know, background, culture, country, where their origin is. How do you work with companies or brands that are looking at, at diversity, like diverse audiences, or mm-hmm. maybe even totally different cultures? Well, I think that the idea here is to have a representative sample from each of those audiences. So one of the things that we often have to come in and do is do user personas, and help them to define who these folks are. I'm often surprised, you know, I'll take a step back here. When we do user testing, we always want to find testers who match the ideal customer profile of the client we're working with. So we get the most relevant information that way, right? So we, we spend a lot of time segmenting and surveying our testers, our testing pool, so that we can wade through that testing pool and send the test out to the correct parties who, who are the closest possible match to the ideal customer profile for that client. Now, 
if you'd be surprised by the number of times we go into a client and we say, okay, we're going to find user testers. We need to know who your ideal customer is. And they can't (laughs) give us a clear persona. No, I'm I'm laughing because we have that conversation too. Who's your customer? Everybody. And I don't think so. Right, exactly. And so in that sense, it becomes uh, a challenge where we have to help them define those. So we end up doing a lot of user personas and which, you know, is central to user experience in, in the industry of UX and the, and the trade. So it's I'm not suggesting that's anything special, but what I am suggesting is that if you don't have it, that's the best place to start. And you know, you mentioned that brands who have dozens maybe of personas, we really try to get those down to the core, maybe four or five. And very, mainly we're we're less concerned about the demographics in the way that you mentioned it. Okay. We're more concerned about the goals of those people. Sure. So whether they're coming from Asia or Europe or the United States, they may have different goals, right? And that's really what we want to help do. You know, across every internet user, there's only two reasons why people are on your particular website. And we've been doing this again for 10 years. We've only found two reasons. Okay, I'm going to write them down. Yeah, the first is they're there because something led them to your site that thought helped them think that your product or service is going to solve a pain or a need for them, right? So they're there to understand if your product or service is going to solve their pain or need, right? So unless we're taking Facebook out of this, right? Like people go to Facebook (laughs) just to hang out. They're not coming to your website just to hang out. No. And I have some funny stories about that we can get into, but the number of clients, the number of times I've asked people what their goal is, well, we want people to just hang out on our website. Like, no, you don't. You want them to buy and leave. Like you want them to buy. Like, that's the point. That's, but, that's fine. I've never heard that before. That's funny. That was, that's an easy thing to achieve. That describes most websites. Yeah. <laughs> people are hanging out. They're trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Well, that's the point, right? Is that if they're on your site too long, they're, they can't figure it out. And that's a problem. So time on site is a misleading metric to be tracking. It's something you want to track, but most marketers would say, I want my time on site to be longer. Well, we really need to understand if they do or don't. And we need to figure out what the average time to complete the funnel is, because that's how long we want people there. Well, thanks for that. Now I'm not going to be able to sleep. (laughs) The reason they're spending so much time on your site is they can't find what they came for. Exactly. Yeah. And so the, so what's the second, what's the second reason? Yeah. The second reason people are on your site is to buy that product or convert as quickly and easily as possible. So if they found out that your, your product or service is going to solve their pain or need, then they want to, they want that solution as quickly as possible. Right. So they don't want to have a huge process to get through just to give you their money or to fill out that form. Whatever it might be needs to be as easy as possible for them to do. You know, uh, I have a two year old at home. You know, I I can't be on my laptop at home without him pulling on me wanting something. Right. And so (laughs) there are a number of times that this just happened to me the other night and it was I almost recorded the whole thing because it was a perfect case study. I was buying something and I had it in my cart. My son came up to me and wanted me to help him build his train set. I walked over, I started playing with him and I, then dinner was ready. And so I put my laptop away and I had left all these items in the cart and it wasn't intentional. I meant to buy them, but I didn't have a chance to do it right then. And I got distracted and I forgot that it was in my cart. 
and then the best thing happened later that night i get you know put him to bed i'm i'm relaxing a little bit i open up my laptop again and i have an email don't forget these items in your cart and you know it seems so simple most e-commerce sites or a good number of them do this now not all of them but and it was like oh right yeah so i clicked the one button it took me right into the cart with all of my products in it and i purchased and so I was prompted to do that. Now, would I, have ever, would I have remembered later? Yeah, probably. But it might not have been for another day or two days. And that would have shown a huge abandoned cart. Well, here they were able to capture that within a couple of hours. And it was just a great experience for me too. Because I found it helpful, well, and like you said, not overbearing. They made they made it easy. So I've I've done that as well, where I've got the email saying, "Don't forget the stuff in your cart." But I've also got the your your cart's timed out, and then I have to start over again. Right? Why Why are you like, inducing well, fear there? Right? Like, oh, now I got to do this <laughs> yeah, right I away. I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Inducing fear has become a huge problem with marketing and e-commerce. You know, a lot of people are putting security badges up on their site and our research shows that just makes people concerned about the security. The number one question we get when we ask about that is, well, what happened that they had to go get the security badge? And so it's a different way of thinking about it, where if you're an e-com site owner, you're typically looking at that as, hey, well, I'm telling people that we're secure and I'm being proactive about it. But a consumer we'll look at that and say, well, you know, what happened that they're now being forced to, to have a third party look over their site? Sure. Did their credit card data get hacked? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We had one client we were working with that had a whole bunch of guarantees up on their site and on the product detail page. And they thought they were being helpful, right? By offering a bunch of guarantees, but they were guarantees that were pretty obscure. One of them was a terms of service guarantee. And so when we were doing the user testing, it's like people are wondering what's in the terms of service that I have to be concerned about that you're guaranteeing it. <laughs> yeah. And so then people were abandoning because nobody wants to read terms of service. And the people that would go to terms of service would bounce because they'd, it'd be, you know, 4,000 words of legal stuff all crammed into one paragraph that nobody's going to read. And so, you know, every brand has a terms of service, but nobody's reading that content, Right. And to have a guarantee around it really made people question it as opposed to just saying, I know there's the terms of service here and it is what it is. I'm moving on and, or not even thinking about it. And now you're injecting that fear into the process. Yeah, I guess you are. I mean, you're adding, you're, you're giving your, your potential customer uh, objections that they don't have. Exactly. Well, you know, I could probably spend, oh, say maybe a week or so talking to you about this, but um, that's not going to be fair to you or I with our, our business. So I wanted to say thanks so much for sharing with us today. And I want to ask you the best place for our listeners to get in touch with you, to find you um, and to learn more about what you do and how you help your clients. Sure. Uh, well, our website at the good is the good dot com t h e g o o d dot com and feel free to go on the site uh, sign up for our email list we have put out really high quality content about how you can optimize your site it's not sales oriented at all it's really meant to be helpful and educational 
Um, so it's not a sales pitch by any means. And then, uh, you know, for brands who are interested in potentially working with us, uh, I would suggest doing one of two things. The first is if you go to our website, top right corner, as we talked about earlier, Doug, <laughs> yeah. there's a button that says evaluate your site. Click on that. That will take you to a complimentary landing page assessment where you can understand a little bit more of what it would be like to work with us and, and to have us take a look at one of the pages of your site give you some some eye tracking heat mapping like we talked about earlier and how we would typically use data. Uh, the second thing is email me. Uh, feel free to email me directly with any questions that you have. I do read every email that comes in. So um, it's john, J-O-N, at thegood.com. And that's john without an H. So um, feel free to email me. Uh, be happy to answer questions as well. Well, that's excellent. And on that page also, I, you've got a video and the, the image you've got there, as you probably know, it's your site is a, is a big heat map. So <laughs> listeners, if you want to learn more, I, I started looking at this years and years ago, probably 10, 12, 15 years ago. And I, I just was amazed at the at the data and the information. And I use it uh, every day in my email in terms of testing um, subject lines and testing calls to action well before we get people to a landing page. So I can't recommend more highly uh, investing in, you know, getting your consumer involved in the conversation and, and and testing. So it also takes, I think, John, the one thing we didn't mention is it takes the, the risk off of the marketing manager going back to um, his boss and saying, hey, I think we should do this because the, the, the data says we should do this. And that's, that's a great point as well, Doug. It, it is an insurance policy to some degree, right? Because you're, you're, you're baking in your decisions on data. So two more questions to let you go. What, what's some of the bad advice that you hear around this in the marketplace? Well, one of the first questions I often hear is, what's the one thing I can change on my site that's going to increase my conversions today? The reality is there's not one thing. And, um, you know, most of the content that is out there when you search for this uh, and how to optimize your site is really based around things like button colors or things that honestly have such a little impact or are not based on data. You know, there's a there's an article out there that talks about how changing one button color gave this brand like a hundred million dollars in extra revenue a year. I don't know. You know, it, it's not backed by any data, but it's one of the first articles that people find. And they're always like, wow, this is, you know, I can get tons of additional money by making these small changes. It's honestly, it's much more difficult than that and requires a lot more effort. I've talked about setting expectations around six months today and not changing one color and one button. So if it seems too good to be true, it definitely is. Very much like uh, somebody who is coming out and saying, um, do search engine optimization with us, and I guarantee you within two weeks, I'll have you on Google's first page. Like that, They don't control that, right? <laughs> no, Google don't. does. So yeah, right. it's, you know, the, there's best practices and things you can do, but it is, it is a lot of work to be doing the right things and have them pay off. Yeah, absolutely agree. Tough question. Normie stumps my guest, but I'm sure I'm sure you'll get this. Is who's one guest that you think I absolutely have to have on my podcast? Oh, that is a great question. I would say that somebody who is really focused on optimizing AdWords and uh, not just AdWords, but optimizing around traffic generation. And, you know, the, I can definitely give you some names uh, if, if that's what you're looking for here. But I think that really focusing on driving the right kind of traffic can have a huge meaningful impact. And I think coming at that from a data angle 
is what is really going to have that impact. Now, there's a lot of great SEM companies, search engine marketing companies out there. We tend to, to have some great partnerships with, uh, with them in the sense that when you're driving that qualified traffic based on data to a site that is highly optimized, it is really like adding fuel to a fire and acceleration just grows really rapidly. Why don't we take that offline as a follow up? So if your site, you know, first first thing is get your your you know your site in order. So plug the holes in the bucket so you stop the leaks, and then we can do a follow up uh, session uh, maybe with somebody you recommend. Uh, you can pop me an email on uh, now that the site's uh, performing well and converting better. Um, now you can drive some more traffic. Perfect. Well, thanks again, John. I really appreciate your time. This has been super informative. Um, as a, even as a marketing guy, I love the analytics stuff because uh, it really comes down to moving the sales dial and that's what people are interested in. So thanks for tuning in, listeners. I'll make sure that we transcribe the show notes as you are aware. I'll make sure that all the links to uh, John's website and his social media are there for you and available as well. So thank you for tuning in and I look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting DougMorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's DougMorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.